Uh, Please turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look uh, this evening at verses 4 to 7. But I'll read the whole of of chapter 4. Uh, So Philippians uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your accounts. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I wonder if you have particular passages of scripture that you go to when you're uh, feeling a bit low, uh, when you're finding... uh, um, things a bit tough, a bit of a, a struggle. And the passage I read before, Isaiah 55, is a is a passage that I sometimes go in uh, in such cases. And I imagine that uh, this passage that we're looking at this evening in Philippians chapter four is also uh, one such passage uh, for people. It's a, a passage which is is full of the goodness of of our God, isn't it? And it's a passage that uh, that speaks 
about uh, our Christian character or, or, or those, um, those characteristics that should be uh, in Christians. Uh, that it's an outworking of our, our theology, isn't it? Our theology in action, our theology working its way through to our, our practices, our doctrines affecting our, our lives. And so as we look at this uh, passage this evening, I want us to see that Christians should be different. I want us to see that Christians should be different. And as we look at these uh, things that make us uh, distinct, I, I hope that it will, will cause your, your hearts to, to lift in, in praise to our God. So as we look at this passage, I want us firstly to, uh, to look at that we are to be a people of joy. I always feel um, particularly pressured when you preach on something like joy and that you can do it in a slightly dour uh, way. But we are to be a people of joy. Now look at, the, uh, at verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This double emphasis that we are uh, called to be a people of joy. In fact, we are commanded uh, to be a people of joy, to be those who, who rejoice. It should be something that we're known for as the people of God, that we should be known for uh, our joy that we are, are different, we've been set apart by our gods and that through people coming into contact with us they should know that we belong uh, to the Lord, that we're not to be a, a people that are characterised by sorrow or by fear or by a kind of melancholy, uh, but to be characterised by joy. And yet we still need to be commanded uh, to be joyful. Perhaps it's something that we can forget about as we uh, try to, uh, to live serious, God-fearing lives. I think it reminds us, doesn't it, that there's something of a, of a struggle always in uh, the Christian life. But yet, Paul reminds us twice uh, to rejoice, uh, that we are to be a people of joy. I don't know if you've uh, ever noticed, but if you, um, if you tell someone to cheer up, um, does it ever work? I don't think anybody's ever told me to cheer up and I'm going, oh, okay, and cheered up. Uh, I tried doing it with, uh, with the children and it certainly doesn't work. Um, because when, we, when, when we're feeling like that, we need a reason, don't we, to be joyful. We need a reason to, to cheer up. And of course, as Christians, we have the most wonderful of, of reasons, don't we? We're not just told to rejoice. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. That the Lord is the source of our, our joy, isn't he? That as we, uh, as we cultivate that closeness to him, that our, our joy uh, should abound as we spend more time in his, his presence, as we uh, walk with him, uh, that we should become more joyful. It should be uh, um, a contradiction in terms further to be a mature Christian who's not joyful. That as well, we, we, we grow in maturity, that we should be, we should be full of joy, shouldn't we? And we've got so many things to be uh, joyful about, haven't we? we are, as, we as we remind ourselves of the, of the goodness of our, our God, we can look to the cross and we can know that our, our sins were laid on him, that we will never have to pay for, for those sins, that it's been paid for, that we have been reconciled to God. That we, as we again, re, we remind ourselves to rejoice, we are to to remind ourselves of the wonder of the gospel, that not only do we have sins forgiven and we're reconciled, but we have this great hope for the future as well. 
And that God has done this work in us, that he's given us new life by his spirit. And of course, that in, if, if it, in, in some sense, it might feel like it's a, a negative thing. But the fact that we haven't uh, contributed anything to us should keep us rejoicing, shouldn't it? Because it means that we don't diminish it uh, in any way or damage it. We've got to constantly remind ourselves, haven't we, that we are justified by faith. That it's not by anything we do. That we don't begin with, with faith and then we, we, come up, we, we stay in the kingdom through works. Or that we keep our joy going through works. But that our lives are all of grace, aren't they? That it begins with faith in Christ and it continues in uh, that same vein. Perhaps we might think that if we have uh, great spiritual gifts, uh, that that might be the source for our rejoicing. Uh, but as when Jesus, uh, after Jesus sent out the 70 disciples and they came back, uh, they were re- rejoicing that the, the spirits were submitting to them. But Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. And Paul has just re- reminded uh, the Philippians that their names are written in the book of life. It's the, the same point, isn't it? And as I said last week, no wonder as, as he expects uh, the, the, the work of reconciliation that this loyal yoke fellow was going to do in, in verse 3 for, to bring Euodia and Syntyche back together uh, by sharing the gospel, by preaching and proclaiming the gospel uh, to them again, uh, that, that there would be rejoicing, wouldn't there? There would be rejoicing in that reconciliation. And so we're to rejoice in the Lord, but not only that, we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And that those, uh, those words in scripture, always and forever and things like that, uh, they're, they're strong, powerful, emotive words, aren't they? That Paul is, is showing again that our, our joy isn't to be in our circumstances, because if it was in our circumstances, surely he couldn't say it would be, be always. We, he knows that we go through uh, difficulties and we go through um, times of, of elation. And yet, we should take a moment to remember where Paul is as he writes this letter, that he is in, in prison in Rome, uh, perhaps facing execution. And yet he's reminding the, the, the Philippians to rejoice. Um, remember the story of the, the Philippian jailer told in, in Acts uh, chapter 16. And what is uh, happening as... Um, uh, Paul and Silas have been uh, severely flogged and they've been uh, put in prison. And in verse 25 of chapter 16 of Acts, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were in jail, they were in prison, they'd been severely flogged and they were singing hymns uh, to the Lord. They were rejoicing in their, their God. It's challenging, isn't it? Are we like that? I find it challenging. It's easy to, to wallow, isn't it, in, in self-pity when things go wrong. But Paul tells us that our eyes are to be fixed on the Lord as we, as we see him as the, uh, the reason for our rejoicing. And, and as we do keep our gaze fixed on our Saviour, that should cause us to uh, continually rejoice for our status before God doesn't change. And so we always have the same uh, thing to rejoice So we're told to rejoice in the Lord. And again, Paul happily says it 
Over and over again, he, he reminded us that at the beginning of chapter 3, didn't he? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. We're to, we need to be doing that for one another, don't we? Reminding one another to rejoice. That we are to be a, a rejoicing people. So that's a sign of the work of the Spirit in our lives, isn't it? Joy is a, a fruit of the, the Holy Spirit. That it's something that only comes about as the, the Spirit of God works in us. And yet, it sh- but it should be present, shouldn't it? As God works in us, uh, we, should, we should know that joy. Now, of course, it's not the same sort of joy that perhaps football fans are feeling at a moment if their team have done well. If you're a Wigan fan having won the FA Cup yesterday, it's not, it's not that same sort of joy. That's a, a joy that is, is short-lived particularly if they get relegated on, on Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's, not, it's not like that, is it? It's, it's a consistent joy based on our, our knowledge uh, that we have been redeemed, that we are children of God, that we are recipients of God's grace. And that should be uh, our grounds for rejoicing. So we should be a joyful people, shouldn't we? Our joy should come out of us, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be something that's just kept within it should, be, it should come out of us as we spend time together and as we spend time with others that people should notice that we're curiously joyful. I remember there were a couple of lads stood outside the church not long ago and one of them commented that everybody always comes out smiling. Everybody comes out looking happy. And that's, a, that's a good testimony, isn't it? I was, I was hoping that it wasn't, that they were just glad to be going home. But we should be joyful, shouldn't we? And uh, we shouldn't need to drum it up because as we reflect on uh, the Lord's goodness to us, it should cause uh, joy to, 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 to well up inside. So firstly, we're to be a, a people of, of joy. Uh, secondly, we're to be a, a people of, of gentleness. I wonder if this, as you think of the characteristics that Paul brings out here, if these were necessary, the ones that, um, that you would expect him to understand that he would bring up joy, perhaps love and peace for the other ones that we would um, expect, but he, but he commands that we should be gentle. He commands that we should be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, the Lord is near. And the Lord is near. So we're commanded to be, to be gentle. We're to be people of gentleness. I was thinking, well, what is, what is gentleness? Um, apparently this, this word, can, you can describe it in lots of different ways. That gentleness doesn't cover it. It's, it's gracious, it's, it's generous, it's kind, it's sympathetic, it's compassionate. It's all these, uh, these types of words. But uh, in the NIV we have gentleness. I think gentleness is a, is a good translation. That's part of the reason why I, I read the, the prophecy about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. That... He came in with gentleness, didn't he? And so to be gentle is to be like our saviour. To be the opposite of gentle would be to be hard and harsh and uncaring and dispassionate and, and things like that. Those should be things that should never be associated with the people of God. That we should be uh, characterised by, by gentleness and graciousness and, and generosity and so on. And of course, our Lord was not only gentle himself, but also he, he treated people with, with gentleness. Remember that he, 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 he um, rebuked the disciples for not allowing children to come near him. 
that he was, he was gentle and he, and he drew people towards himself. We're told about him that a, a bruised reed he will not break and a, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That he was, he was gentle and even under the greatest of, of, of suffering and, and persecution he continued uh, to be gentle. And that's the great test, isn't it? Can we uh, be gentle even in, in suffering? And perhaps the the uh, the backdrop to each of these these uh, commands is is there's an element of suffering expected, and so we are to rejoice even though we we suffer. We are to be gentle even though we are provoked. So can we remain gentle through the the difficulties of of persecution, and or do we or do we kind of strike back? I think it's. Um, it's something that we must be aware of as we share the gospel with people, that we're not out there to, to try and win a, an argument in one sense, but we are meant to be not only speaking uh, the gospel, but embodying the gospel as we, as we go and, and we demonstrate that gentleness, don't we? Paul says that we are to, to let our gentleness be evident to all, that it's not just within the, the fellowship. Of course, it is within the fellowship we are to be, to be gentle and gracious towards one another, but also it's outside the fellowship too. And, and it should be made known to all. That, that's what it means by being evident. It should be obvious. Again, so just as our, our joy should be obvious, our, our gentleness should be obvious, that joy and gentleness should uh, be together. So we should be tender, firstly, towards one another, shouldn't we? But also uh, beyond the walls of our um, uh, um, uh, of this church, the the people out there aren't our enemies, are they? They are just as we were before we came to faith in the Lord. They're, they're sinners needing salvation, and so we go out in that spirit of of gentleness. And as we develop relationships with people, we show that that we are like our, our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul um, wrote to uh, wrote his first letter to Thessalonica, um, he said about his ministry, and he said, we were gentle among you like a mother caring uh, for her little children. It's um, lovely language, isn't it, of how Paul was towards um, the Thessalonican church. It was a, a caringness, a, a gentleness as he, as he dealt with these people that no doubt had all sorts of, of difficulties and hang-ups as they came to know Christ. So we're to be known for our, our gentleness. But Paul continues that the Lord is near. And I've been uh, wondering to myself why he says that here. It doesn't seem to be connected in one sense to what comes before or what comes after. There's no ands or buts or fors or any words like that. But we're told that the Lord is near. And perhaps it's because he's spoken about gentleness and gentleness in the face of, of suffering and, and persecution is, is so difficult. But we're reminded that the Lord is, is near. That he, he knows what we go through as his people. And also he's aware of how we, how we conduct ourselves. That he will um, help us in that as we uh, ask for his help. He will guide us and, and bless us as we strive to live that, uh, that life of obedience and as we uh, try to live uh, lives of grace and of, of gentleness. 
But it should be a, a, a great incentive, knowing the nearness of our, our Lord uh, to our, our conduct, shouldn't it? To, to living a holy and a, a godly life. But even when we're on our own in a, a place where the, we're the only Christian, that we know that the Lord is, is near us. That he's with us and we can always uh, call out to him and he'll help us. But also I think uh, perhaps the, Paul is emphasising that the Lord is near in terms of time, not just in terms of, of proximity. There's been so much, hasn't there, through this letter about the Lord's return, living life in the light of the return of Christ. And so perhaps uh, Paul's hinting here at the fact that the Lord is is near in terms of time, that he could return at any time. And again, uh, that that should be an encouragement, shouldn't it, for us to live the way that he, he wants us to live. I remember uh, um, hearing about um, a, a Puritan who said um, that we should be careful what we do, and whatever we choose to do, we should be happy to die doing that thing. Would we be happy for the Lord to return when we're doing that thing? It's quite a good uh, quite a good rule, isn't it? A quite a good rule of, of thumb of, in terms of our conduct. But the Lord is near. And so we don't need to, to behave in a, in, in, in a way that is contrary to Scripture. That, that Our gentleness may be seen to be weak. That's what often uh, people in society will think, that as we show gentleness, as we show restraint, as we show grace, as we don't treat people as they uh, deserve to be treated, that it's a sign of weakness. Uh, but actually the Lord will return, won't he, and he'll vindicate us. But it wasn't a sign of weakness, but actually it was a sign of, of strength. It was a sign of, of faithfulness. So I wonder if this is a, an area that particularly in our society we need to, to work at, at being gentle. Uh, we're in a society, aren't we, where violence is, is in, increasing not only in our streets, but particularly on our TV screens, on our, in the film, in, in the cinemas, and so on. And of course, violence is again the, the complete opposite of, of gentleness. So we are to be a, a people of joy, and we're to be a people of of gentleness. And thirdly, verse six, we're to be a people of prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So again, we're given another command. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything. This echoes what uh, the Lord Jesus uh, taught on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, didn't, isn't it? We've had uh, two kind of positive commandments here. and This time we're told to not do something. It's a negative command. Don't be anxious about anything. That we're not to be a people of of worry or, or fear, are we? We're not to be concerned about things in an unfaithful way, thinking that we, we won't be provided for. We live in a, a world of uncertainty, don't we? Particularly, perhaps at this time, in, with economic and political um, uncertainty. And perhaps we might think that we've got good cause to be anxious about things, but the Lord doesn't change, and the Lord is near when we, when we worry, we, we either think that we're not able to cope with the circumstances we have or we're, we're thinking that we won't be provided for. Uh, but the Lord uh, will provide for us. He will meet our, our needs. As, as Paul goes on to say in verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? So we're not to, to worry about anything. 
There's no circumstance where worry is the, is the answer uh, to our, our issues. And again, remember where Paul is as he, as he writes this. He's not speaking in any kind of superficial way that he is sitting on death row, so to speak. But again, he knows that the Lord is the one in control. And so when he says, don't worry, um, he means that we're really not to worry about anything. Again, in verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul, or verse 12, he goes on to speak about how he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That the Lord is the one that, that strengthens him and, and keeps him. And so he has no need to be anxious or, or to worry. The all-powerful God is, is looking after Paul and likewise, uh, he looks after us. And again, as I said before, that when we say to someone, don't um, a bit of cheer up, that we, it, it rarely works, does it? And likewise, when we say to someone, don't worry, say, well, why? Again, we need a reason not uh, to worry. And we're given the, the reason, again, a great reason why we're not to worry. Paul goes on, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Prayer is the antidote to worry. Isn't it? Prayer is the antidote to worry and to fear. We bring to the Lord in prayer whatever, we, whatever is on our hearts because he cares for us. That he's happy to, to hear us come and, and pray. That it's in every situation that we're to do that. Paul and Silas were um, in that jail, weren't they? And they were not only singing hymns, but they were also praying uh, to God. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as they uh, were in the jail. So Paul is saying here that we've got these, these two, perhaps it's two ends of a, of a spectrum. We've got worry at one end and we've got prayer at the other, or that, that there's some kind of a, a, a balancing working that when you have your worry and you put prayer onto it, the one drops up and the other one goes really high over the other way around, won't it? But that there's, there's something so important, isn't there, about prayer? Because the Lord answers prayer. And so often we, we struggle and we worry about things and then if somebody comes alongside us and says, have you prayed about it? You say, well, no, I haven't thought to, uh, to do that. Paul emphasizes four, four things here in this part of the verse he 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 really emphasizes that we must be praying you notice that he uses uh, four words for for prayer he, he says prayer petition thanksgiving requests so there's this incredible emphasis of prayer and then we're of course told to pray in every situation as i said there's no time when it's inappropriate to pray there's no time there's no situation that's too dire and there's no situation that's too trivial either have you ever prayed when you've lost something? You lost something silly. I remember when I lost my glasses and, um, and I was searching the house to find, try and find my glasses. And, um, and Anna said, why don't we pray? And we sat down to pray and I just started laughing. I thought it was ridiculous. Like, we can't pray for the Lord to help me find my glasses. Anyway, after about five minutes of feeling silly, I, I prayed and we found them within about 20 seconds of praying. I'm not guaranteeing that's going to happen every time. <laughs> But, it, but it, it taught me something about, about, the, about we can bring anything to the Lord in prayer. You know, I was having to drive somewhere. I didn't have my glasses. I couldn't, I couldn't go. But it was my last resort. 
Uh, Paul's saying that we are, whenever we feel anxious, we come straight to the Lord to, to pray. But we're also to pray with thanksgiving. Did you notice that? I find this very striking that the last two times that I've come across verses that have been emphasizing prayer, both times they've emphasized prayer by saying prayer in several different ways, and both times they've emphasized thanksgiving. When we were considering uh, praying for authorities, we were reminded that we were not only to, to pray and ask for things and intercede for them, but we were to give thanks for them. And Paul tells us here that we're to pray with thanksgiving. We're to pray, aren't we, remembering that everything that we have comes from, from the Lord's. And that, that every situation is, is God-given, as we uh, reminded ourselves this morning, to make us more like our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in whatever circumstances we, um, we come, we can, we can give thanks for, for God's uh, provision to us. Again, I wonder if this is an element that we often miss out. Uh, particularly when we uh, when we come with um, with anxious thoughts and uh, and worries. I remember hearing a um, uh, a quite a well known minister speaking about uh, spiritual dryness, and uh, he was saying how he was just really struggling with his prayer time, and and um, and uh, a friend of his, a minister friend of his, said, um, do, you, "Do you give thanks to God?" And he said. Gosh, I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it. And he said, you know, the Lord requires us to give thanks to Him as we, as we come to Him, we should be constantly giving thanks to Him. And we're to pray with, uh, with thanksgiving. That's why we, I guess, one of the reasons why we, one of the many reasons why we pray in the Savior's name, isn't it? That He is our mediator, He is our uh, intercessor. Uh, but also it reminds us, doesn't it, that we, we can only come into God's presence because of what our Saviour has done. It should cause us to, uh, to give thanks. Uh, the fourth thing here is that we are to pray by presenting requests to God. And I was quite struck by this word requests. And again, it reminds us that, that um, with this context of, of suffering and, and difficulty that we are to pray and ask God for, uh, for good things. But there is a, a form of a request. It's not a demand in one sense. We come and we always pray, don't we? Your will be done. In God's sovereignty, what we ask for might not be quite as good as we, we think it is. Or perhaps he's got something that's much better in, in mind. Or maybe that the thing that we ask for, he, he answers no or, or wait. And we're not to worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we're to present our request to God. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. Uh, so says someone called R. Rainey. I think it's a, a good quote, isn't it? The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. So he, Paul is encouraging us to have that constant uh, Godward orientation, isn't he? To have uh, that mindset that sees uh, things in the, the perspective of the gospel, the perspective of God's uh, goodness uh, to us and that past answers to prayer should encourage us uh, to keep praying uh, shouldn't they so we are to be a, a people of prayer and then finally we are to be a people of peace uh, verse 7 and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus uh, the peace of God which transcends all understanding this isn't a a reference to the peace of God that we receive when we 
are reconciled to him, that, that point of, of salvation. But rather it's a consequence of the, of the previous verses, particularly verse 6, particularly um, turning from anxiety to the Lord in prayer, uh, but also uh, in terms of rejoicing and, and, and being gentle. Of course, it's not possible to have this peace without having the peace that God gives us in reconciliation. But Paul is suggesting here that it's possible not to, to, to know the peace of God um, in, if, we, if we aren't behaving the way uh, that God uh, plans for us to, to, to be. But of course, it's not contingent on our prayers being answered uh, in the affirmative, that it's not contingent on our requests being successful, but that the peace of God is uh, contingent on our obedience uh, to these commands and that through this obedience we will know uh, the peace of, of God. But Paul is, seems to be contrasting uh, the peace of God with, with our own human anxiety, that the peace of God is the thing that removes doubt and, and worry because it's, it's far superior, it's off the scale in comparison, that it is completely beyond our, our human comprehension, that it's, it's greater than we can get around. It's similar to um, in uh, Colossians when it speaks about the, the love of Christ. It is Colossians, isn't it? Someone's going to shout out, no, it's not. Um, it's uh, in Ephesians, isn't it? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's a similar, I think it's a similar idea there. He's speaking about the love of Christ and here speaking about uh, the peace of God. That, it's, that we, we just can't comprehend it. It's so uh, great and it's so, uh, it's so large. It's so wonderful. Again, from Isaiah 55, as we read before us, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The peace of God transcends all understanding as we, as we do uh, these things that we have been told uh, to do. But we're told that the peace of God guards. Did you notice that? that the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. Uh, we thought last week about um, the fact that when they were told to stand firm, it was uh, it would conjure up a, a military uh, line where the the, um, the enemy attacks, and you're to stand firm, you're not to 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 cede any ground. And I think again here, this the, the word in terms of guarding, particularly to those in Philippi who were protected by Roman soldiers, uh, that they would understand that God's peace was, was like this, that they would be guarded by it. They're to think uh, perhaps of a, a company of soldiers protecting a, a city from attack and they're repelling um, anything that comes um, near that is, that is foreign and, and, and wrong. And that God's peace does that, that he, he protects our hearts, he uh, protects our minds uh, through it. That the Lord keeps us uh, from allowing things to come in that are, that are bad, uh, when we are obedient to uh, uh, to His will and His ways, it, perhaps um, it's helpful to think in terms of of John 15, where Jesus speaks about being the vine, and that we are the branches, and that we're we're called to remain in Him, and 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 He will remain in us, and that then we will bear much fruit. 
and that there's that that need to be doing what is what is right and, and faithful that we're to remain in him by demonstrating our love for him by obeying his commandments and that's when we produce uh, fruit and and it results in in peace and, and assurance that the peace of God uh, guards our hearts and our minds uh, in Christ that it's in our, our union with Christ it's it's being in that closeness clinging uh, to him so as we live our, our lives and as we pray we we should know this this peace of of God shouldn't we it should it should fill our, our hearts and our, our minds it should uh, be a great encouragement shouldn't it particularly in times of difficulty to keep going so do we know this do we know this peace of God if not then we we need to do what the the passage tells us don't we we should we should be rejoicing we should be um, we should be gentle to others as we as we seek to uh, to show and demonstrate the gospel to them by word and by deed. And we must pray, mustn't we, that the Lord will remove the things that are contrary to peace and that are uh, that are, are helpful. Uh, that we will be uh, His people, His representatives here. We are to be a, a people of joy, a people of gentleness, a people of prayer. And the people of of peace. What a an incredible blessing it is uh, to belong to Christ and to be found in Him. Amen.